Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, welcome back to you and to me. <laughs> it's been a while. Had the same experience this week of, of going and coming from Israel before we could unpack. So it was, uh, yeah, we did have similar experiences, right? Uh, well, obviously, Malcolm, you know why I missed the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to uh, selfishly just ask you to reiterate what so many people have said uh, privately to us as the Siegel family over the last couple of weeks. You knew my parents. You knew them well. You knew the leadership role they took in the Jewish world and how my... Uh, how uh, my mother's, um, uh, uh, how her role was so key to everything that my father was able to accomplish. Um, if there's anything we could learn from their lives, it's get involved, be involved, and take the future of the Jewish people seriously. I, I think it's absolutely true, and uh, often the wives get uh, play the supportive role, but it's actually the most critical role. Uh, without them, husbands couldn't do anything, and not only that, but your mother who would always ask very good questions. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> what was going on. I got um, <laughs> And what was herself uh, very interested and engaged. But to be the Rebbitson of an important community at the time and to to have played the role in building uh, in Newark and uh, your father's and uh, Oliver Shalom's important work at the Memorial Foundation, other things uh, throughout all the years, uh, it's a... Uh, She's a remarkable woman, and uh, all of us have expressed our nichum abelim to you and to your uh, family. But just to look at the family she raised is a testament to her. Well, I got listen. I, you know what I'm about to say. I got to share with the audience <laughs> now. Now that now that you know, now that my mother's gone, maybe this is a, the, the time to tell the story. But there were there were times, Malcolm, and you know why I'm laughing, where where my mother would ask me what you said, you know, uh, uh, you know that Friday, what you had said that day. When I walked into her apartment, if she didn't hear the show, and I would jokingly, of course, say something like, "You know, the world's coming to an end," or "This week, the world's not coming to an end," depending, depending on what on what the report was. And there were times, and this is why it's so funny to me that I'm recalling this with you. There were times where I literally, and you can attest to it, would pick up the phone and bother you in the middle of a very important Friday afternoon, just so you could reassure her that it looks like over Shabbos will be okay, that the world will continue to stay. So, but by the way, that's another factor: is that she was such a she was such a news junkie, even until the very very end. We know she passed away at eighty nine years old, even until the very very end. A real throwback. Somebody you know, somebody in her position who uh, was not only supportive and raised the family, but was really really interested on a critical level about everything that was happening in the Jewish world. You don't always see that these days, but uh, just wanted to point that out. What can I tell you? So there you have it, and uh, I thank you for that. All right, a lot, lots has happened over the last couple of weeks, as we know. Let's start with some of the news items. Uh, first of all, we'll start immediately with what's going on up north. It seems like there's some type of activity, military activity, between Israel and Syria at this point. Is this uh, anything new, and is it serious, in fact? Well, it is serious. Uh, I have talked about it uh, on the show uh, for the last few months about the escalation, the concern, uh, about the IRGC, there are revolutionary guards present there. The fact that you have hundreds of Hezbollah soldiers in the Syrian Golan, and that you had a coordinated effort between the Syrian army, the IRGC, and Hezbollah, uh, and you remember the incident where the Iranian general and the uh, leader of Hezbollah were killed, uh, a key officer was were killed, 
and the belief that they were trying to tunnel under uh, to build tunnels under the uh, into the Golan underground to uh, be able to infiltrate the Israeli army. Obviously, is on top of that, checking it all the time. Uh, but you've also had errant fire, meaning that there were conflicts between different groups on Nusra, which is along the border, being attacked by Al Qaeda, being attacked by uh, others. Uh, out or clashes with the Syrian army where missiles were misfired and hit inside Israel. Mm. It was not the intent to target uh, Israeli uh, property. In most cases, they just landed in open fields. This was different. This was a deliberate attack. They targeted hitting across uh, Israel, and it's believed that this is uh, the work of Islamic Jihad. They, Israel hit back today. They, they supposedly killed the cell responsible for this. Attack, but we have seen this as an escalating situation, and Israel has to send a clear message that nothing will be tolerated, that they will retaliate immediately and uh, strongly. Yesterday, they hit, I think, 14 targets, uh, at least, uh, and um, uh, the, the number of casualties wasn't as important as knocking out offensive capabilities uh, on the other side. So. You have a, a situation that is obviously of concern. Iran has long talked about this being its western border, its defense border, uh, along the Golan and the Lebanese border. We've seen uh, in Lebanon, the Lebanese army now is doing joint patrols with Hezbollah, and probably not at their request, but Hezbollah has, has imposed itself, uh, and this is in violation of the ceasefire agreements, uh, as is virtually everything else that goes on in the in southern Lebanon, where the weapons flow, et cetera, where it's all supposed to be barred under Resolution 1701, and they, it is not. And the flow of weapons continues. Iran is trying to provide uh, much more offensive weapons, meaning missiles and the guidance systems. Israel, as, as uh, you hear periodically, prevented those from those weapons from reaching, uh, but uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon. But the the concern is, A, that they store them in Syria and move them at another time. B, that with the new influx of money, they'll be in a much better position to do more. All right. So it's very comparable to the situation that we were used to in Gaza already. I mean, uh, Iranian-sponsored, you know, sending rockets, testing Israel, seeing what type of reaction they'd get, right? I mean, in those ways, very similar. It, it, it is, and the, the I think we can anticipate the same thing. You saw they moved another uh, battery of the... Um, uh, the the defense, missile defense, the Iron Dome near Beersheba, yeah. because of the concern that with the some, because of some of the rising tensions that that the Islamic Jihad or somebody in Gaza will start up. Hamas has not uh, itself, but we know that ISIS, for instance, fired a few rockets in order to try to provoke a situation, which was um, uh, contained, let's say, uh, for now. And, and we're seeing it in, in a lot of things. We're seeing the the spread of Hezbollah, for instance, to Latakia, which is you know, the uh, stronghold of the Alawites and the Assads. And uh, they've opened a new building. They're, they're spreading uh, their presence, even though they've suffered significant losses. And Iran is through them, obviously. They are giving money to, um, uh, to Hezbollah. They're providing uh, a lot of the, the support. And one of the things that people don't understand is that it doesn't take much to support a terrorist entity. You know, it, it is in the millions of dollars every year that they give them. Uh, and 
we know that Tehran has been behind these renewed attacks and the tensions in Israel's north um, for their purposes. They also may be using it to, to unite the parties in Syria to give the diversion uh, from Assad. Uh, and there are some beliefs that they may have, uh, you know, given up on the ability to long-term protect Assad. But for the time being, they're certainly they certainly seem to be together with Russia still uh, there. Russia just provided MiG threes to the Syrian army. I don't know what what exactly they will use them for, but they they are showing that they continue to be supportive. And we, on the other hand, provided a billion dollars in military equipment to the Lebanese military. Well, and it's beyond that. If terrorist activity is as you know inexpensive as you describe, or you know you get great value for your dollar, obviously anybody focused on the Iran deal knows how much money is heading to one of the world's greatest terrorist sponsors at this so point. So when you talk about let's say five percent of a hundred billion or fifty billion, right. two and a half billion dollars is more than enough to fund Hamas and Hezbollah and Houthis and others and um, to expand their activities. And as I just said, that it, on the other hand, we gave a billion dollars in military equipment to the Lebanese military. Now you see their role with Hezbollah, and we know that material makes its way. So, so though Saudi Arabia paid for a lot of it, the fact is that this stuff can, be, can move very quickly from one hand to, uh, to another. They are getting such an unbelievable windfall. People don't realize it. It's one of the most important aspects of this whole Iran deal, aside from everything else, trustworthiness of the Iranians and you know what the United States' role is going to be going forward in terms of whether they're willing to stop them militarily, etc. All those are important issues, but the cash is such an important part of the whole thing. And it's a more immediate. I mean, the right. cash that they could get, they won't get it now. It, it will take at least six months, but they have to be in compliance in order to get it. But we know that they're going to at least uh, on a visible level, be in compliance uh, in order to qualify for the money. And the, the windfall, which will not go to the benefit of people, but even if, if 80% of it goes to build roads or do high-profile things, and remember, the RGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, and Khomeini, and all these guys control a very big part of the Iranian economy. Mm. I mean, a quarter or more, 30%. So they tend to benefit from it. He has a billion-dollar corporation, Khomeini. He has... Uh, you know, his own, his own network, which will all derive benefit from increased trade or, or sales and the influx of uh, of the money, which... Uh, yeah, and something you've been telling us now for weeks, maybe months, is the investment potential in Iran. The Times, in fact, has an article today that really outlines exactly uh, how much Iran can cash in on this whole uh, deal with the West. The, the, it, it seems never-ending. It's not even if, if we're if we're upset or worried about the amount of money that the United States and the others have, you know, committed to Iran for this deal. It's so far beyond that. The investment opportunity and the potential of funds coming into Iran at this point is endless. And now we see Russia selling the F three hundred to Iran. Iran is already planning m- many more purchases of offensive weapons as well because in anticipation of the influx of that money and the um, uh, the S-300, which was is a very effective missile defense, which will make it much harder to penetrate Iran in the event that sometime the military option has to be exercised. Um, Russia stopped it a couple years ago in response to the sanctions, but now has uh, renewed the sale and this time said they will deliver it. The... Um, and when you think about then the, some of the revelations of the last few days about some aspects of the Parchin side agreement, 
where where the inspections will be done by Iran, though despite the denials, it appears, and it's according to AP, which the reporters who saw the document, the original in Vienna, uh, the the inspections are, are essentially being carried out by Iran that determines seven sites that they will take samples from, but they take the samples, they deliver it, they do everything, which, and everybody has heard all the analogies to a drug addict right. testing himself, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But the, and it's such a good example. <laughs> but yeah, but it shouldn't be dismissed right. because it is a very important consideration. Also, we learned that Iran gets to choose the or has a veto over the inspectors, meaning that they have to approve. And they've already the people selected, and they've already said no Canadians are Americans. So, you know, <laughs> every time you you touch something here, it it opens up more questions and more issues. Oh. Um, and I don't know if you saw some of the statements by Iranian dissidents. Yeah. And, of course, the battle of pro and con statements coming out and of senators coming out for and against the deal. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment. But it's uh, some of them are very strong. You know what? We'll get to that in a second. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockin' County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world in the web, jamnam.org. If you missed any of our weekly updates so far, keep in mind on the NSN app within the hour in the archive section, in the weekly update section of the archive section of the app, you'll be able to find our conversation from this morning and get the early part. Um, before I, I'll ask you about the senators in a second, but you, you met with the prime minister this week. This has got to be the biggest question of our listeners right now. We, it, it's so hard to project or conjecture how seriously this topic of the Iran deal is being taken in Israel. And I don't mean how seriously the topic in general. We know it's very serious in Israel. But I wonder how the prime minister is watching with bated breath or maybe couldn't care less at all how the Congress and the president are now jockeying for position on this Iran deal. You met with the prime minister this week. How does he view what's going on in Washington now? I would certainly say bated breath is closer to the truth. <laughs> but... Uh, look, the Prime Minister has for many, many years, somebody last night uh, pointed out that uh, that he was the only one other than I who, who 15 years ago and 20 years ago warned about the danger of Iran, and uh, he actually started later than me. But somebody who has really been in the... <laughs> yeah, but he, but he wrote a book about it. <laughs> he wrote a book and he gets much more attention, so it's, uh, it's more valuable that he does it. But he... You know, this is not an anti-American thing. It's not against the deal, nor wanting not to have a deal. This is about the concern of what the true nature and goals of Iran are. And one only has to listen to what Khamenei and others say. And Khamenei just this week again called for vigilance against U.S. influence. And he said, we're never going to make peace with the with this great Satan, and they should continue to... Attacks, and he said, "We'll block any attempt to a penetration of Iran." They're not talking about military penetration; they're talking about any positive messages, etc. And he continues to use the "Death to America" uh, uh, slogan, uh, despite you know all of the concessions, everything that that is uh, taking place. So, for the prime minister, uh, he follows it very closely, I would say, and he has done so. I think he certainly can be credited with having raised the profile of of the issue. And uh, the question now will be what will happen over the next uh, month or so, and then what happens the day after. Is he planning a trip to the U.S. in the near future that you're aware of? Yes. He's coming for, probably coming for the U.N. General Assembly. 
in uh, September. No, October. Oh, October. End of September, October. Right. For um, uh, it'll be during Cholamoid, I think. All right, uh, we'll get to Schumer and Menendez, and there's a lot to talk about about who's on what side of the ledger right now, and some of them deserve a tremendous amount of credit, and I'm sure it's what you were alluding to earlier. But let us start with this. Representative Jerry Nadler of New York, according to the New York Times, will endorse President Obama's nuclear deal with Iran, becoming the lone Jewish member of Congress from the state to back the contested arms control agreement. A long-tenured liberal Democrat, Nadler intends to declare his position on Friday, according to sources familiar with his decision, who asked to speak anonymously because the congressman has not yet made a formal announcement. Nadler, whose district stretches down Manhattan's west side and into Brooklyn, is closely identified with New York's Jewish community. I am sure you know him a long time. If this report at 8.04 in the morning on Friday is true, Malcolm, you must be extremely disappointed. Well, I have talked to him about it, so I'm not going to say I'm going to be surprised, but let's wait and see when the announcement comes out, what he actually does. Um, you know, people make decisions, and they have to live with the consequences of those decisions. Um, I know that people make arguments both ways, and that some feel that, uh, uh, you know, these are people who have come out, other senators have come out in the last two days uh, both ways, and if you look at the American public, Still, uh, an increasing majority, 56%, I think, the CNN poll yesterday, uh, said Congress should reject it. It was up from 52% last month, but right. if you break it between Republicans and Democrats, it's like 83% Republicans and uh, are against, and 70% of Democrats were for. And that's a very dangerous thing. We don't want to see any of these issues becoming partisan, and certainly not uh, the relationships with the, 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 Jews, the Jewish community or with Israel. And uh, and the vast majority of people don't like the way that this whole issue is being handled, and we're seeing deep rifts that are being created in in the debate. And I think it's very important that we contain it. We have to think of this long term, right? And what additional steps we can take. But it is. I think the responsibility falls on those who support the deal to make sure that it's going to be implemented. Right. And how are they going to do that in view of some things? We yeah, think? just like those who supported the Gaza disengagement, you know, we thought they'd be responsible for making sure that everything would be fine with the people who were uh, who were taken out of there, but excuse the comparison. Uh, speaking now of, uh, of those who have public officials who have voted one side or the other, we have not been... Uh, we, had, we didn't have a weekly update since uh, Senator Schumer, which we consider to be a very important uh, vote in all this, declared that he'll be going against the deal. What was your reaction when you heard that news? Uh, I thought it was it's obviously was a very important thing. He, he had studied the issue. He did what he said he would do, and that is to take his time to hear from all sorts of people. I think many senators and congressmen are telling us that they're Hearing, uh, they're listening to briefings from uh, people, experts who advocate both points of view to, to arrive at a conclusion. But he came to the conclusion that this was a dangerous deal, and and um, I think people should uh, uh, acknowledge the fact that he took the step. I know there are people who are condemning him and saying he didn't do, you know, campaign. He didn't do this. He didn't say about the uh, second vote. He did say about the second vote, and as well and. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when people do the right thing, those who support it should make their voices heard just as much as they do when yeah. people do things that they don't agree Yeah, I didn't realize that there's... It's not the rule. I didn't realize that there's some who are still dissatisfied with his decision, or at least the extent to which he went, as you just described. I believe 
Every New York State resident who's against this deal must express their thanks and appreciation to Senator Schumer. His leadership, and he came out pretty early, by the way. I mean, calendarically, I'm speaking. He came out pretty early on this. He could have waited another couple of weeks at least, right? There are so many, many who have not come out yet, even including some from the tri-state area and right. others who uh, are waiting. I'm not sure what more they will learn uh, about the deal. That uh, and and look, there's a lot of intimidation. There are a lot of uh, ads running, millions of dollars of ads on both sides. We see. You know, every ad has, one has 200 people, one has 500, one has 30, 30, 80, 60. You know, I think the only one who benefits is, is the, the, are the newspapers and the, and the media who run these ads. But it is an expression of the intensity of feeling about this, and it's reflected, I know, everywhere I go. I know that, that uh, people are engaged. I wonder how many of those who express views, though, have actually read the agreement and know what it really calls for. I... And, yeah. The difficulties in the implementation. I, I understand that, but if we if we just listen to your review each week about just the cash component and what it could mean to the future of terrorism, without looking at any other word in the entire agreement, what one I think legitimately could come out and have a strong statement against the deal. Right, I, I think Menendez, Senator Menendez, who has been an heroic leader in all of this for a long time, you know, just in regard to this, but uh, when he was. Uh, ranking member of the Foreign Relations Committee and was the author of much of the legislation on sanctions, a co-author and co-leader on that. Um, he said when he, he announced this week his position against the deal, obviously, uh, he believes that we, they could still get a better deal. Right. He said disapprove this right. and don't reject the entire agreement, disapprove, and then renegotiate. And, and some of the things are exactly what you said. The, the $700 million a month lifeline he referred to. Um, he wants ratification by Iran of the additional protocol for access to suspect sites, a ban on the centrifuges R&D re- research and development, which is not covered. And you see that some of the Iranian officials boast about the fact that they can continue uh, and that no no facility was closed and uh, deal with the PMD, the uh, possible military dimensions, which relates to the situation at Parchin, which is where they were weaponizing uh, doing experimentation on weaponizing uh, their nuclear ability, and it's one of the reasons why people want access, because the half-life of the uranium is very long, even though they've paved it over six times, etc., and why people are concerned about the supposed uh, additional agreement. And he wants the, the agreement to last at least 20 years. He's right. come up with other right. things, and we've seen a spate of articles about things that could be done to improve the deal. And by the way, it be- should be true regardless. By the way, of whether wh- whatever the outcome, right? And, and, and sure that these things, including about the supervision, how is the money? What steps can be taken to make sure that the money doesn't go to terrorist groups? I think it'll be very hard. Right. But how do we do that? How do we make sure that there isn't this instant rush, which will eliminate the, cap- the any prospect of a what they call the snapback? Right. Menendez seemed to present a very level-headed approach with little emotion, so to speak, and. And and really say what you've been saying all this time. Of course we want a deal. We just want a good deal. We want a good deal that, that makes sense. And I think that's what he represented. Now, will Menendez and Schumer in any way influence Booker? I really don't know. And I think Senator Booker will make his decision. I assume, assume I heard. Soon I heard. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's had also a good track record. And let's see what how this translates. Um, he's been certainly under a lot of pressure, and 
and also, you know, the administration has a lot of cards to play, and, and there have been people, Democrats and uh, other supporters, who made phone calls and they threatened people on both sides. So it's got to be intimidating, and that's why, as Schumer said, that, you know, he listened to everybody, but the decision had to be his own. And uh, the same with others who on both sides who come to their own conclusions. I mean, obviously, political considerations have to factor in when you're an elected official and you have to think about your funders, your supporters, your, your possible prospects in the future. Uh, but this decision is of such consequence and the possible ramifications of this deal in, in so many ways that, um, uh, you know, when, when they boast about the fact that the missiles are not part of the agreement and no one's ever going to... They will never negotiate the quality and nature of their missile program, which we know is advancing all the time, right. with a ballistic missile, which they don't need for Israel. Israel, they can hit with a conventional missile. They, and ballistic missiles means they want to hit Europe, the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, so, the, the, and they talk about all the things that they won't do. And, and coming from top officials, top aides of, of, uh, of Khamenei, let alone Khamenei himself, and the, he said it's absolutely forbidden that we allow inspectors into our military sites. No foreigners, no IA into our military sites. So they're, they're publicly negating key elements of this, which is what also contributes to the, to the distrust, knowing their past record, their history of deception and lying. Um, and they're talking about um, uh, the new weapons. He said, we don't need WMD. We, we, we can do it. But we see that they're buying new weapons. They're already negotiating. Uh, for uh, weapons purchases, and um, uh, th- and they said we're not obligated or required to accept anything decided by the Security Council. Uh, I don't take th- I take these things seriously because I think that they you know they they often tell us what they're going to do. Yeah. They feel more free to do it. Yeah, well, yeah, no question about it. Plus, just to bring this week full circle for me, and I visited the Emmonite village, East Jerusalem, on. Wednesday saw the sacrifice that a few Jewish families make for what they believe is going to be a very important uh, uh, step in the uh, in the future of the Jewish people in the holy city of Jerusalem and places like Ir David and the Muslim quarter. They are certainly good proofs of that in terms of you know what, what a few families can do and what things look like a few years later. With that sacrifice in mind that those parents and children are undergoing, maybe we can convince people here to take the small step of just contacting their public officials. Can we at least... Can we at least get people to make a phone call? We're not asking you to live in places in Jerusalem that are really tough. We're not asking you for your lives on the line. All we're asking is everybody who continue to ask, by the way, what they can do is pick up a phone, speak to your public officials at every level, because we've talked about how symbolically, in some cases, uh, it is so important on every level uh, to speak to public officials about the Iran deal and support for Israel in general. And if people do that at the minimum, then they will be involved. And, and we they can't... should speak respectfully. They should right. speak based on knowledge, make it a factual, substantive, not personalized this on either side. I think it's very unfortunate that those who uh, are, are against the deal are characterized as being pro-war when, in fact, they are not, and when or that people are, are being attacked on a personal basis. It is not helpful. We also have to think about long-term relationships that, that we will need uh, to, to have after this issue is resolved one way or another. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the process, that it goes to a vote. People have said, well, what about a filibuster? There's no filibuster in this. It'll be an up or down vote, which is only a majority on the first vote, and right. then the president vetoes, and then you, they decide if they're going to go to a second vote right. if they think the numbers are there. And... Uh, um, and how all of that will play out. There have been many, many articles uh, 
describing it, but I, I just wanted to say one thing of what you just said and, and to show the interconnectedness of all of this, that Iran is, pour, is pouring money now into uh, the PA through the Sharia court system and buying influence with the uh, Palestinians on, on the, the West Bank. They have the Al-Ansar uh, Charitable Society, which is based in Gaza, has been transferring Iranian money to uh, you know the families of what do they call martyrs, and uh, meaning terrorists, and uh, you know spending significant amounts of, of money, but also uh, uh, to um, uh, to to try to win public opinion and extend their influence there. This has been a, a something they have said all along. They said that they would arm the people in the West Bank to, to to start what is going on in Gaza, to copy what's going on in Gaza and Lebanon to start a third front. It, it's not something Israel can dismiss. And again, the more resources they have to devote, the more free resources, uh, like the influx of money from this, uh, can be diverted to. And again, you don't need huge sums. So it doesn't matter whether it's fifty billion or a hundred billion, one hundred fifty billion, or five hundred billion. As people have said, that will come over the course of. Uh, yeah, of it's am- we've been talking about this for twenty years. It's amazing that today I find it finally galvanized for me how inexpensive terrorism is. You don't need a lot of money to carry out these missions. Right. Um, people want to know if the conference of presidents, and this is just an informational question. I'm not trying to pressure you one way or the other. If the conference of presidents is involved in the anti-deal uh, rally in Washington scheduled for the 9th of September. Some of the member organizations of the conference uh, of presidents are, and we were informing uh, people that all activities, we, we've had all sorts of informational briefings, et cetera, that for people. But this rally has its sponsors, and uh, there, there's not just going to be one. There are going to be several uh, events that I understand are being planned for that week in Washington. Oh, boy. So I got to be in Washington September 9th. Glad I got this warning from our listeners. By the way, a uh, a um, a very, uh, how do I put it, a very strong response about the news about Jerry Nadler. Uh, Congressman Nadler, again, apparently is going to announce today that he's pro the deal um, and going with the president on this. And, uh, you know, like we say... People can make their voices heard. They could certainly, they could certainly, uh, according to some of our listeners already, they can make their voices heard at the ballot box. Are you in Brooklyn for Shabbos, by the way? Yes. Okay. So you may, you may hear from some folks who, you think? who expect, who expected us to be even stronger about this news item. But again, as you say, it's not official yet. We'll find out when it does become official. Couple of things in your meeting with the Prime Minister. I, I, I'm sure this is private. Tell me we can't discuss it. That's fine. But, did he have anything of significance or or of interest uh, that you could share with us about the news about Jonathan Pollard? Did it come up in your discussion with him? No. And also, did he go into any detail about this new tunnel detecting technology? You've described for us how down south it's incredible the level that Israel is getting to technologically in terms of detecting those tunnels. But apparently the news this week is that it's getting even better and better. Any update on that? Uh, we did. Dis- I discussed that with... Uh say people who are more closely involved with the actual implementation of those things. By the way, on Pollard, I mean, it came up at almost all the meetings right now, thank God. It's on track. We believe it will, he will be released. Well, the rumor is that the, that the, um, uh, that the conditions of his release, some of them are, are, are absurd. And I don't know if we, if we even should discuss this publicly, but that, right. that, that's... Why don't we wait and see? I think he has great lawyers who are doing a great job for it. And, uh, we work with all of them, and as you know, we've been, 
praying and hoping and working for this for a long time. Right. The next and couple of months are not going to be easy. Let's put it that way. Right. For him. In general, it's not going to be that, that, that for for for, for all sides to be happy when this story concludes, it's going to be a difficult couple of months. Listen, right now, I think it'll be a happy ending that the guy is, is finally freed, long overdue, that he should be able to rebuild his life. I think he wants to do it quietly, about to travel and all of those things. The lawyers will work on it. and uh, Well, yeah, it, uh, a lot more than that, but right. Okay. But I think his first goal right now, and the goal for everyone, should be to get him out and let him live in freedom and get the treatments he needs and whatever else. Um, Understood. Tell us about the tunnel. And I think he doesn't look for, he doesn't want to do it no brass bands. It's not that kind of a thing. I think right. he wants to do it quietly and appropriately. In the Ammonite village, we visited Beit Yonatan, named for him. And, uh, uh, wait, I think we can't, you know, not mention uh, one of the big stories of, of the last two days, which is how Israel, when you talked about the um, advances, how they've trained dolphins now. <laughs> to be oh i hope it's a I, I hope it's a joke <laughs> i can't even keep it oh it is a wait, joke but, the, but, do, the dolphins with built-in cameras <coughs> cameras and the new part they have a device capable of firing arrows which can wound or even kill a man how come only hamas can detect these and and, and get them out of the water how come, and, how come and, and and they they claim that they've captured a dolphin you know a dolphin's also the name of those quick boats so i don't know whether they know oh. the difference between the fish and the boat mm. but they didn't capture a boat but the uh, they said it had spying equipment and cooling cameras and now this and if you remember i reported earlier how the iranians said that israel trained squirrels yeah. to their nuclear sure. program and uh, and, and there were some birds and other dark right and, uh, and the, the the vulture that, right. that was captured in saudi arabia but we have to know that in much of the world people believe these stories yeah. hundreds of millions of people believe all this stuff and and i mean it's a statement about the you're in and the and certainly about their capability but and when the al-quds uh, newspaper the palestinian paper reports this yeah. and uh, that they get they grew wary of the dolphin because of its suspicious movements crazy. hello crazy all right a couple of last things let's go back for a moment the tunnel detecting technology based on the briefings you got are we getting to the point where we're literally every one of these will be able to be detected and and israel will not be taken by surprise are we getting to that point moving to that point the united states is also and the u.s and israel again a message that the cooperation between the two in this regard is very important as is all the military and security and intelligence cooperation which is uh, ongoing uh, and uh, the reports, by the way, while we were on the air, um, about Israel canceling the Juniper Copra exercises is, is not true. Uh, they are going ahead. There was just a visit uh, of, a, of a naval vessel that's actually still in Haifa um, with joint exercises there. It's a missile uh, launching boat. Um, so there are things that, uh, that uh, many things that continue to go on, obviously. This is a high priority is to find technology to detect uh, underground tunnels, and I know that there has been serious progress in, in this regard, and obviously Israel is looking now because Hamas has said that they will do it again, and, and uh, the situation in the north requires it. Yeah. All right, and finally, and please include um, uh, in your answer um, the cooperation, because you do a tremendous amount with the United Nations, as we know, and we would discuss it on a regular basis. Uh, Danny Danone has been uh, appointed as the new Israeli ambassador to the UN. So, your reaction to that in terms of his uh, abilities, 
uh, that will likely um, be exhibited in the United Nations. And is he aware of the fact that uh, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes, not just in terms of the relationship between Israel and other countries in the U.N., but the work that's being done uh, behind the scenes to influence the way the U.N. and the Security Council uh, in general treats Israel? Well, I met with him while I was in Israel, and we had actually a very long meeting, and I told him the realities uh, of uh, of the United Nations as we see it, and he was very receptive, and he wants to learn. He, he uh, is very articulate, I think, and he's smart and understands also how he has been portrayed, and uh, the need for him to to change that image. And uh, he is, I think, very sensitive to it. Um, the uh, you know the decision is made. He's coming, and I think. You know, all the other discussions now are are uh, not relevant. What's relevant is what he does because they're going to face real tests, including possibility of the Security Council resolution on the Middle East. You saw the French again popping up about uh, getting a resolution and working towards uh, and proposing peace pr- uh, uh, process proposals, uh, plans. Um, there will be other many other issues. The Prime Minister will come and obviously address the Iran issue. Uh, as well as other matters when it comes, uh, but it'll be after, uh, likely after the fact yeah. uh, of the legislation. But you also have a Security Council resolutions, and you have, the, yeah. the, they are not all the same as the joint agreement. Right. So he, there's going to be a full agenda for him. And When does he take over? What, what month does he actually start this uh, position? I think that the, Ron Prosor has done such an excellent job, will remain through the General Assembly and certainly the Prime Minister's speech early October, and then... Um, then and the transition? Danone uh, wants to be there, wants to be here for a transition to learn and to, to take time to prepare, and then he will take over in October. Malcolm, we've shared a couple of uh, tough times over the last few months. Let us share many, many smachot, wonderful occasions together, and thank you for joining us, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, there he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update every Friday here at JMAM. Good to be back on track with the weekly update, and make sure to be tuned in next week. There'll be plenty more for us to discuss.